Hi, good afternoon, everyone. Uh, this is uh, Kalai Kalapresami. I'm the director for the Institute for Clinical Research at the National Institute of Health, Malaysia Ministry of Health. Welcome, everyone, to our first session of the webinar series on demystifying clinical trials and updates in COVID-19. Now, uh, we are most uh, aware that uh, the ICR has been uh, in the forefront of trying to get some of these key COVID-19 webinars on research and some of those clinical parameters that have been discussed by some of the speakers in the past few webinars. Today, uh, we are gathered to, together to look at the clinical trials perspective in COVID-19 era. And I'd like to first introduce uh, my co-host today. It's none other than uh, Dr. Atmar Yusuf. He's the CEO of Clinical Research Malaysia. Dr. Atmar, please. Thank you very much, Dr. Kalai, for having me today. Uh, I heard we are going participants uh, joining us from uh, five social media simultaneously. So, uh, hello everyone. Yeah, hi, hi Mr. Dr. Akmal. So, glad to have you on board today and uh, it's, a, it's a first thing for us too, having a co-host together on some of our webinar platforms. So, uh, let us uh, go back on some of the housekeeping arrangement that we've made. First is that, uh, you know, for question and answers, uh, we have a Slido app. You're most welcome to type the questions. And uh, both the speakers and ourselves will try to answer the questions as much as possible. Uh, and uh, as you know, this uh, webinar is open not only to you as a healthcare professional, uh, but also to the members of the public uh, where there's a certain interest on clinical trials and on the use of a digital platform. So those of you are frontliners or medical professionals or healthcare professionals uh, who need to have your professional uh, certificate for CPE, uh, please uh, ensure that uh, you have all the details filled in. And in case you missed it, uh, you know, you can always uh, come back to us on the details. Also, uh, the slides as well as the video, often uh, it is uh, nicely packaged together. And we will share this with you later. So in the event you have rush up or something, don't worry, you can always come back and catch back with us on this video and some of those podcasts uh, that comes together with this. Uh, if you'd like to rewatch this, you can go to Clinical Updates in COVID-19 YouTube channel or listen to the podcast that's often attached to the channel uh, whenever it's available. Uh, so back to you, Dr. Akmal. Well, we are lucky this afternoon to have the honor of having to host three panelists for the vast experience clinical trials that they have. The first panelist is Dr. Alan Fong Yin Yip. Second is Mr. Chu Chu Kian. And the third one is Dr. Chia Hui Kui. They will share their experience with regards to clinical trial. And uh, these are the topics that we chose today, uh, which is the introduction and Malaysia experience in phase one clinical trials. And the second one would be the COVID-19 vaccine trials why we still need them. So I would like to thank all our panelists, Dr. Alan Fong, Mr. Chu, and Dr. Chia for taking his their time off to join us this afternoon. Yeah, thanks again, Dr. Akumar. So just very quickly on, on who Dr. Alan is, Dr. Alan Fong and Yin Yip, uh, often called as Dr. Alan Fong. Um, he is a consultant cardiologist at the Sarawak Heart Center uh, in Sarawak. He's also the head of the Clinical Research Center at Sarawak General Hospital. He's uh, often uh, quoted on the research uh, frontiers on a very um, active platform for almost uh, his cardiology-driven work and uh, first in human type of clinical work. Uh, he has participated in over 20 phase one to phase four clinical trials 
He's also the national coordinator for two international multi-center studies and uh, you know as an investigator initiated trial champion you know he's got uh, you know more than 40 articles already published in international peer-reviewed journals mr chu uh, he's none other than our very uh, reliable and uh, you know safe pair of hands uh, he's a technical head in the center for clinical trial icr at hospital Ampang, where there's also a dedicated phase one clinical trial center uh, under the Institute for Clinical Research. Uh, he has, in fact, participated in over 30 pharmacodynamic and pharmacokinetic type of studies and also on bioavailability in aesthetic compounds, food drug effect, drug formulation, and bioequivalent studies between original drugs and genetic drugs. Both of them are more than well uh, you know, qualified to speak to us today. Uh, they have very vast experience in clinical trial both as trialists and also to facilitate many of our clinicians to undertake the trials. So without further ado, uh, let us both welcome. Uh, first, I think it will be Dr. Allen to uh, present his uh, slide presentation, followed by uh, CK. So please listen, and if there are any questions that you wish to ask during the session, please type in the slide app, and uh, we'll try to answer it actively while the sessions are ongoing. So Dr. Allen Fong, please. Thank you very much, Dr. Kalai and uh, Dr. Akmal for chairing this session and allowing me to start uh, today's uh, lectures. So my role today is to kick off this lecture on the introduction and Malaysia's experience in phase one clinical trials. Uh, next slide, please. And these are disclaimers. The outline for my presentation is on an overview of drug discovery and development phase one clinical trials. And when I'm done with that, uh, my co-presenter, Mr. CK Chu, will talk about the Ravida drug development, Malaysia's own experience in early phase clinical trials. Next slide. This is the overview of drug development. So to bring any drug to the market, that means every drug prescribed uh, in Malaysia and in other countries have to go through this strictly regulated drug development process. To develop one successful medicine, it can take testing of over 10,000 drug candidates. It typically takes over a decade and can cost over 1 billion US dollars. And when we take you to this, uh, the diagram, from the left at the pre-discovery phase, over 10,000 compounds could be screened for bioactive activity. And then from then on, certain candidates are picked up and undergo preclinical testing. And these are done in animals, initially small mammals then large mammals, and then non-primates, non-human primates before an investigation new drug submission or IND submission for the regulators to assess the animal data. But because these eventually are to be de developed as medicines to be taken or consumed or injected in human beings, they have to undergo human clinical development. So clinical trial programs are designed to undertake this process. For phase one clinical trials, a small group of volunteers, up to up to 100 perhaps, are uh, picked up and, and then 
utilized for phase one clinical trials. After the data is obtained and analyzed and the drug deemed to be safe, they typically move to phase two clinical trials. And that typically is a dose ranging study. Once we obtain or find the ideal dose, uh, then these drugs move to a phase three study, which typically is a very large study and usually involves many centers around the world. And this is a very large effort to obtain the data for NDA submission uh, for the regulators eventually to be reviewed. For example, like the US Food and Drug Administration. And when they have approved that for use, then subsequently the drug is then brought to the market through large-scale manufacturing and then prescription. After a drug is uh, approved and used by everybody in the market, then there is still a phase four post-marketing surveillance to look at longer-term effects of the drug. So as you can see, it's a very long, arduous process to bring a single drug to the market. So this is the classical way, a robust manner to develop safe and efficacious medicines that all of you and I take today. So in Malaysia, we are now moving into the ability and infrastructure to undertake phase one clinical trials. So as you remember, the phase one clinical trial is the beginning of the human clinical research program to bring a drug to the market. Typically, a phase one clinical trial involves something up to 100 healthy volunteers where we adjust the dosing plan based on the animal data. We gather information about how drug interacts with the human body. We can identify how much drug that a body can tolerate, what its acute side effects are if the doses are increased, and how best to administer this drug to limit risks and benefit is possible, uh, maximize its possible benefits uh, to the patient. Next. So there are many types of phase one clinical trial design and underpinning all this is the safety criteria. So for medical ethics, historically based on the declaration of Helsinki for as the bedrock for human safety. First in human studies are performed in dosing from humans based on animal data. There's also single ascending dose type studies to study the effect of a single dose to the body with those escalation. There's also multiple ascending dose using multiple dose effects to the body with dose escalation. There are also food effects to study the drug pharmacokinetics. Also, drug-drug interactions are part of a phase one clinical trial designed to see how the drug affects other drugs in terms of absorption and how its effects in the body. And also for the bioequivalence and bioavailability for the different formulation effects on drug pharmacokinetics. Next, a typical example of a phase one clinical trial program is as such. For example, if a drug has a little small dose, for example, one milligram is given to active participants and then assess for any side effects. If this is shown to be safe, the second cohort of eight subjects are then given a higher dose. And if that's okay, we move on to the third cohort using a higher dose 
and moving so on and so forth up to a higher tolerated dose. Eventually, it may be found that the 15 milligram dose, for example, in this program was found to be the optimal uh, compound done at a single ascending dose program. After that, there is a multiple ascending dose where there are multiple doses of the same drug taken by the subject to achieve a steady state situation where for absorption and excretion, hopefully we can understand the drug pharmacokinetics better. And the subsequent cohort seven, as you can see, a higher drug level or the 15 milligram dose is then also used in this research. So in addition to that multiple sending dose, there's also the full effect. As you can see a 15 milligram dose drug here and to see how a food affects drug absorption and other pharmacokinetic parameters. For example, a simple, a common drug used in the market is paracetamol and analgesic. So if you take paracetamol uh, with food, the absorption uh, typically is decreased. Even different types of food can affect absorption and pharmacokinetics. For example, a high carbohydrate meal can even delay the onset of the analgesic action, the painkiller action of paracetamol compared to a high protein or a high fat type uh, diet. So food effects again, also assessed at the clinical trial program. So as I mentioned earlier, drug-drug interaction, bioavailability and bioequivalence type studies to look at formulation are also other examples of phase one clinical trial programs. So as such, uh, in the last few years, the phase one uh, clinical trial guidelines uh, was set up. The phase one clinical trial guideline working group commenced in 2016 and initiated supported by Clinical Research Malaysia and then launched on the 2nd of November, 2017. And as you can see uh, a very proud moment uh, in the context of uh, Malaysia's phase one uh, eco, uh, clinical trial ecosystem. In addition to this, there was also the regulatory guideline on phase one unit accreditation at the NPRA, and this releases uh, phase one unit inspection and accreditation in June 2018. And I'm very pleased to report that outside at the Clinical Research Center at Stroud General Hospital attained its, this accreditation following inspection in 2019 as a site for phase one uh, clinical trials. As safety is a key feature of a phase one clinical trial, uh, Malaysia also embarked on the National Healthy Research Volunteer Register, as you can see. And at this juncture, I will uh, now pass the uh, mic to Mr. C.K. Chu, my co-presenter, uh, to explain about this and the subsequent Ravida uh, uh, trial program for phase one clinical trials. So uh, over to you, C.K. Thank you. Thank you, my fellow colleagues. In Malaysia, because we are focusing on the healthy volunteer trial at the same time, because we know that the phase one clinical trial are mainly healthy volunteers, sometimes it could be patient-based. And most of the time, healthy volunteers, when they join the trial, we would like to ensure the safety of them when they are participating in a healthy, based, healthy volunteer-based clinical trial. And also, how do we ensure the safety? We would like to ensure the safety by protecting them uh, to have 
um, not over volunteering themselves in between trials so that they will not join too many trials in such a short time frame. And this NHRVR register would enable for the trial site to ensure that healthy volunteers will not over participating themselves in the trial center. And this ultimately is the end point of protecting the safety of the healthy volunteers. With the Malaysian clinical trial phase one guideline and also the regulatory phase one inspection and accreditation program, with this uh, National Healthy Research Volunteer Register, we hope it will work in a synergistic manner to ensure the conduct of phase one clinical trial are conducted in such a, a professional manner and in a safety environment, safe environment. So let us look at the overall bird eye view of the types of phase one clinical trial that is conducted in Malaysia. This is the trial that has been registered in clinicaltrial.law. There is a total of 49 of them. And it was conducted in a diverse range of multiple disciplines. 29 of them is actually completed and 12 of them is actually ongoing. The top list of the phase one clinical trial is oncology, ophthalmology, hematology, followed by cardiology and psychiatry and neurology. Out of these clinical trials, phase one clinical trial that is conducted in Malaysia, the majority of these trials are coming from drug trials. 65% of them are actually from drug trials. 19% of them is from biological product. It could be stem cell, it could be monoclonal antibody. And lastly, 12% of them are from device trial. So the, the landscape of first phase one clinical trial is conducted in Malaysia. It is not just drug trial, but it's a composition of drug trials, biological product, and device trial as well. Now, I would like to share with you that something that uh, holds dearly to our heart, which is um, Ravi Dasri. I'd like to share the experience from phase one to practice. The, to increase and enhance accessibility of hepatitis C treatment. It is actually developed through a South-South collaboration between Malaysia, Thailand, and Egypt. With the partnership with NGO as well, Drug for Neglected Disease Initiative, DNPI, and also Doctors Without Borders. I'd like to share with you the Ravida drug development layout. As we can see, like what my colleague has shared, Previously, there is phase one clinical trial, phase two, and phase three clinical trial. It composed of a myriad of phases of clinical trials to ensure the drug is um, tested well for the safety and efficacy before it is brought into the market for the practice for the population. So, phase one it was done in a few uh, different trials. The single ascending dose multiple sending those in healthy volunteers that was done in 2011, October. At the same time, this was the same trial that also studied the effect of the food to ensure that the study drug does not, uh, we, we will be able to understand further on the pharmacokinetic profile, whether does it affect by the food when it is taken by the healthy volunteers and also hepatitis C patients. Subsequently, when they understand the pharmacokinetic profile, they further move on to the drug-drug interaction studies to study about the potentiality of drug-drug uh, interaction from different uh, inhibitors. It was believed at the lab level, they found that there is potential where they, it is showing uh, weak inhibitions by CYP2C9 and CYP2C9. Um, 
the midazolam or miprazole. So they found that there is no clinical significance of drug-drug interaction, which is quite a robust drug. And then furthermore, they follow up with a viability to study the formulation effect, the capsule versus the tablet. What is the differences between these two? And then subsequently, they follow up with a phase two studies, uh, which is done in US, a dose-ranging study to check whether this uh, rabidastrel actually work with what dosage level, a combination with other antiviral to see the efficacy of uh, early signs of efficacy in treating vitamin hepatitis C. And subsequently, followed by the phase two stroke three clinical trial, which is started off in Egypt. They studied the rabidastrel plus the sulfosfavir, the efficacy towards the treating of uh, hepatitis C genotype four. The result was quite promising. It shows uh, uh, 80, 80 plus percent of efficacy towards the sclerotic uh, patient and 90 plus percent towards the non sclerotic patient. And 2016, where it's the first time brought into Malaysia to find out the phase two and three trial to study the pan genotypic uh, efficacy of pan towards the pan genotypic of hepatitis C virus. It started off during a time that is split into two stages, stage one and stage two. Stage one is the early stage where we recruited 301 patients and stage two subsequently followed for more genotype patient recruitment. During the first stage one, uh, there is some, uh, there's some changes in the logistic uh, arrangement uh, whereby the manufacturing of the Pravidastrate tablet has to be changed from Egyptian site to the Italy site. For that matter, the trial of the phase two stroke three has been halted for a while and jumped back to the phase one to study about the vitamins of the drug formulation. So for the phase one studies, let me share with you the, uh, what is uh, done in this pharmacokinetic studies. So generally, it's actually trying to study the Barbidastrate formulation produced by Doppler in Italy versus the formulation produced by Egyptian EPI with a sample size of 36 healthy volunteers. The study design is a phase one open label, four periods, two sequence, two treatments, single dose randomized crossover biotin studies. So we have managed to uh, recruit the healthy volunteers, screen them once they are fulfilling the uh, exclusion inclusion criteria. We randomized them with a total of 36 subjects. They were given, they were, they were actually being fasted for at least Eight hours, and subsequently the next day they were given two hundred milligram of rabidastrel uh, manufactured by Doppler, and another group of uh, healthy volunteers, the subject receiving rabidastrel from Egyptian's uh, company. Then they will go through period one to go a numerous blood sampling to actually understand the drug concentration of the rabidastrel in the blood to get the profile, the AUC curve of the rabidastrate in Doppler and also in Egyptian's EPI uh, drug. After the period one they finish after 48 hours, they will discharge from the study center that is held in Hospital Ampang. And then they were given a washout period of seven days to ensure that the drug rabidastrate that has been taken in period one has been fully excreted and eliminated from the body the same goes for the other group. After seven days, they come into the study unit center 
for period two to repeat the whole sequence again, whereby they will give the same uh, subject was initially given a doper product, they will come down to period two and receive an EPM product and vice versa. This will actually carry on for period three and period four and a collection of the pharmacokinetic data to ensure actually the rubber industry from Doppler and rubber industry from EPI has the same kind of uh, uh, pharmacokinetic profile. After they have finished the period one, period two, period three, period four, the healthy volunteers, the subject will undergo through a post-study safety assessment to ensure they are not affected by the study drug at the same time, they are also healthy as before they begin the studies. So once the study is completed, we found that they are actually bioequivalents in terms of the drug formulation from Nepal and also from, um, from Egypt. And that is when the phase two stroke three studies continue to be conducted for the stage one. And then until now, uh, we have completed the stage two recruitment and it is currently under ongoing uh, follow-up phases of those uh, subjects. At the same time, recently in 2021, uh, there is a new clinical trial, phase two stroke three, headed by principal investigator, our Dr. Uh, Dr. Razi, uh, leading these uh, clinical trials to study the differences of eight weeks versus 12 weeks regime. We hope to see that eight weeks uh, regime will be as efficacious as 12 week regime so that the treatment of the hepatitis C patient can be treated in a shorter manner with a, a less resources involved. So these studies is also currently just started and also ongoing. So 2000, uh, 2018 uh, April, this is the stage one result that has been came out. Uh, the overall result has been quite impressive. 97% of these uh, patients who receive this uh, rabbit industry plus a combination of soft fast volume with the 12 week regime towards the non psoriatic patient and 24 weeks regime towards the psoriatic patient, it shows an overall uh, cure rates of 97%. These are the Malaysia is predominantly uh, genotype 3, show the 97%. In, regardless of the status of psoriatic or non psoriatic, the efficacy is similar. HIV or non-HIV, also very similar. Prior to HIV treatment or uh, without prior treat HIV treatment is very similar. So all towards the so impressive result that been shown that this product, this rubber industry is quite very efficacious in terms of treating hepatitis C uh, patient. So with that, with this amazing result, uh, Palmer Niagara, the license holder of this rubber industry, uh, put up the, the submissions to our local regulators, National Pharmaceutical Regulatory Agency, for the submission of this uh, rubber industry to treat um, hepatitis C treatment. And Malaysia, on 4th of June 2021, became the first country in the world that conditionally approved Ravida, the brand name of this product to be used in combination with other study, we've uh, used the other drug to treat the hepatitis C infection among the elder adult patient. So with this, we have been always trying to strive for research that really matters to the patient along with the tagline, ICR, research that matters to the patient. Thank you, I hand over back to our moderator.
Thank you, uh, CK, Dr. Alan Fong. Dr. Alan Fong has uh, comprehensively us with regards to the drug development program. And with that, illustrated uh, uh, by illustration by CK with regards to a real drug development uh, by using Ravida or Ravida Sphere. If you have any questions to ask both of the panelists, please type your questions in the Slido. We will start our question and answer session after Dr. Chia's presentation. Our next speaker is uh, Dr. Chia Wikui. He is a physician in internal medicine and geriatrician, currently the head of medical department at Clinical Research Center, Taiping Hospital. He's a dedicated clinician and passionate teacher and keen researcher. He's very active in clinical research and holds several professional positions at the national and state level. Just to name several, he's currently one of the committee members for the COVID-19 Vaccine Selection Subcommittee, Ministry of Health, and the Taiping Hospital Site Principal Investigator for the phase three clinical trials of SARS-CoV-2 vaccine developed by the Institute of Medical Biology, Chinese Academy of Medical Sciences. Now, without further ado, please allow me to invite Dr. Chia to share his presentation. Welcome, Dr. Chia. Thank you, Dr. Amal. Let me share my screen. Thank you, Dr. Amal. Thank you for the kind uh, introduction. And thank you to everyone for uh, spending in the uh, Wednesday afternoon for a sharing session uh, on this uh, topic on COVID-19 vaccine trial. Uh, mainly uh, to ask why do we still need these trials when we have uh, vaccine uh, being rolled out currently. This is just a disclaimer slide. So the content of this uh, sharing session will be very targeted. Only two main topics, why is it still needed? And what are the requirements from the trial participants? Hoping that we can uh, complete the sharing faster so that we have more time to, uh, uh, for uh, question and answering sessions, which will make it more interactive. Okay, so before we go further, we need to uh, go back to the basic and, and maybe just uh, understand the, the basic of vaccination. So vaccination is basically something that it has to be simple uh, because it's a, a public health measures safe, effective, in a way that affect, uh, protects people from harmful disease. And COVID-19 is definitely a disease that uh, fulfills this criteria. Uh, the most important keyword that I highlight here is safe and effective. Okay. And how vaccine works is basically it will train the body uh, before the actual uh, encounter with the disease. It will train the body immune system uh, in terms of the production of the defense through antibodies. Okay, so this is a, a graphic uh, illustration that you know vaccine enters into our body. Uh, it basically exposes our body to the pathogens. In this case, it's uh, COVID-19 virus, SARS-CoV-2. Uh, so now our body now are uh, exposed to it because the, the problem with uh, COVID-19 uh, pandemic is that majority of, in fact, when it started off, uh, all of the human uh, population are not exposed to this disease before. So this is the major uh, reason why it's a pandemic and this uh, that is causing the, uh, the problem that's causing today. Okay. And uh, so this is uh, one uh, 
important thing that we have to uh, realize and sometimes it's still a myth uh, among uh, people is that vaccine because it does uh, it only contains either a kill or weakened form of uh, the germs it does not cause uh, a disease in a person so for covid-19 vaccine for example and i will i will name few of them that have been uh, approved by our national mpra uh, none of them contains a live vaccine or a, a weakened vaccine in other words there is no uh, way a person can get infected from vaccination so if a person gets vaccination today and if the uh, nasal swab of the uh, uh, the COVID-19 turns positive, rest assured that, that that positivity is not from a vaccine okay? because biologically it's not possible for a vaccine, uh, COVID-19 vaccine to cause an infection. So again, generally vaccines mainly are given through injections. Uh, these are general, not COVID-19. Some are given through mouth and some are through spit, uh, using uh, spray through the nose. And we know that COVID-19 vaccine, there are uh, now studies being approved in some country like Australia. Uh, we will see the data probably in a year or two time uh, using the spray, uh, nasal spray method. But, but mainly uh, the, in the method of COVID-19 uh, vaccination is through injection. And injection here is uh, through the intramuscular. So you will uh, see them injecting through the, uh, the deltoid muscle of the arm. Okay. So this, is, this falls into the reason of clinical trial for vaccines. Mainly, uh, no matter how complex the, the protocol of a trial may look like, you know, the basic fundamental part of a trial is, is no different from one to another, is to prove safety and efficacy. Okay. So as, uh, as explained by uh, CK and Dr. Allen just now, just like any uh, other trial, other clinical trial, you have uh, the phases of uh, clinical trial that a vaccine has to go through. Uh, before entering into the human phase, uh, you have the preclinical or animal studies, then it enters into phase one. Phase one is mainly looking at safety. So the number of participants here will be minimum. Then we, uh, once the safety is assured, then the vaccine goes into the phase two, which, which then look at a bit more on efficacy now, but the number of subjects or participants here are still smaller. Uh, again, safety data are collected in phase two, and only if it passes efficacy and safety uh, data of phase two, then a vaccine goes into the uh, phase three efficacy and safety clinical trial. So many people uh, may ask, you know, like why COVID-19 vaccine has entered into the market faster than any vaccine in the history of mankind. But rest assured that uh, in terms of safety, in terms of the phases of clinical trial, there is no uh, cutting short or uh, making it faster. The many reasons why COVID-19 vaccines entered into the current phase now faster than any. And I will just name a few. For example, one of them, we need to look at the biology of the virus itself. It is a single-stranded uh, virus, uh, which makes it relatively, not, not necessarily easy, but relatively faster to have a complete mapping of the genomic, which makes it easier to study which part of the gene that we need to develop the vaccine. Uh, the second part is that when the phase one, phase two clinical trial was started early and mid of uh, 2020, we know that the cases are very high in the Western state where the study are done. So you get uh, uh, the 
the event rate very high. So if you get if you have a vaccine that uh, is tested on a very rare disease, you may take many years to get uh, enough events to see whether it's efficacious or not. This is not the case of COVID-19 vaccine, where the cases were very high and you get very fast the efficacy data out. Okay, and, and the third one of the third reason is of course also the commitment and the, the budget that's involved. We know that in, in, in the normal phase of vaccine uh, production, you need to have at least proof efficacy and safety before mass production occurs. But we know for several of the vaccines now in the market, there was a there was a support in terms of financial uh, support where the production of the vaccine goes hand in hand with the research phase. In other words, it is a risky uh, step to take, but it was needed at that time. And, and when the vaccine entered into the phase three and shows efficacy, the, the, all the vaccines are now ready to be dispatched out for you. So th there are many reasons, I just named three, that the vaccines that you see today in the market for COVID-19, it is faster for other reasons, but definitely not because uh, corners are cut in terms of safety. And therefore, trials are important. Okay, and, and when we hear it from the first uh, country that approved uh, the COVID-19 vaccine trial in UK, the first will be the Pfizer-BioNTech, also known as Cominati. Malaysia, uh, first, uh, first dose was uh, given to our Prime Minister late of February and on the March of 17th, he was the first person to get the complete uh, vaccination. Uh, but we need to uh, also realize that the vaccine that is now approved are under the emergency authorization. Uh, what it means is that most, of, in fact, the trials uh, of the vaccines that is uh, used now is not completed yet. Uh, they are still in, uh, in the process of completing the, the one year to two years of the uh, planned uh, protocol. Okay, so, so emergency authorization is given again only when certain degree of safety and certain degree of efficacy uh, data has been uh, obtained. So for safety, at least there must be generally two months of uh, safety data from at least half of the participant passing through the two months period. And the reason of two months is generally most of the short-term and intermediate short-term side effects of vaccine occurs within 45 days and you know with another 15 days buffer 60 days is generally uh, the, the time period accepted as a minimum and also a short-term efficacy data that is proven so again because COVID-19 was uh, infection rate was high uh, in some of the countries that the, the, the Pfizer vaccines has been started the short-term efficacy data could be obtained within the two months. So, so you will see in, in situation where sometimes you may have two months safety data already obtained, but still you have to wait for the efficacy data before you can get an emergency authorization, even for a vaccine. Okay, and we are not talking about full uh, approval yet. So we now know that currently this is the rate of uh, vaccination globally. Uh, this is just an, another sample of that. And if you look at here, the darker the blue means that the higher rate of vaccination. So the many other, many countries are yet to achieve any uh, significant vaccination, meaning that there's still much more room to develop more uh, choices of vaccine so that we can vaccinate uh, globally. So this is a mass vaccination we are talking about. Currently, we know there are five vaccines that's approved for Malaysia. 
but the currently uh, the one in use are Pfizer's, uh, Oxford, and Sinovac. Current trials, current vaccine trials in Malaysia, uh, two are approved by MPRA. One, the first one is by the Institute of Medical Biology, Chinese Academy of uh, Medicine uh, Science, China. This has completed the uh, recruitment phase and now is in the follow-up phase. The second one, a couple of months ago, uh, has been approved and now starting to recruit by the Kantai uh, Biological. And we know that there are several other in the pipeline. One in the near future will be the uh, MRA vaccine by the Suzhou Abogene, uh, as well as the Yunnan Bovax uh, biotech company. So there are still ongoing uh, clinical trial coming to Malaysia. These are in Malaysia, the one that I'm listing okay, in Malaysia. So some are some already completed recruitment in follow-up phase. Some are still in recruitment. Some are waiting for MPRA for approval to start the study. So there are a few terms I would like to share here, uh, efficacy and effectiveness. A trial proof and efficacy of a vaccine. And then in the real world, uh, it, we will see the effectiveness of vaccine. So the difference is that efficacy is obtained to see the, the degree of the vaccine protection in a controlled environment. And effectiveness is when you use it in the real world. Okay, and the other term that is important to understand in clinical trial of vaccine uh, and also other clinical trials is randomization and blinding. And uh, again, I will explain the importance of randomization uh, later on in my subsequent slides. And also the other term that I would like to share here is uh, because we are now hearing more and more of these kind of uh, headlines in news, for example, it's important to understand what it means. So this is a term called the base rate bias. When you hear, for example, half of the infected are vaccinated. I want to show a, a diagram below to show that as a vaccination rate grows higher or the base rate goes bigger, for example, here 83% vaccination. If you look at, look at the, uh, the left corner, the vaccinated column, okay, that is the 83%, leaving the remaining population unvaccinated. There were 4% uh, infected and I think that uh, the actual uh, number is smaller. Okay, so the, there's a difference between half of the infected vaccinated and half of the vaccinated are infected. Okay, so now that the question, why do we still need the clinical trial? Again, because as we know, the vaccine trial that's approved now are all under emergency authorization. We need at least usually one year to two years to get a longer safety data. Uh, and also it's important to have a clinical trial to continue on to know the effect of the waning effect of vaccine, meaning that over a period of time, how well does the vaccine still protect us? Because in the real world, you may not get this information directly. Because for example, if now you have increased number of vaccinated people getting infected, is it partly because of the vaccine effect is reducing? Or is it because, for example, the policy has changed, uh, certain restriction has been relaxed. So there's no more comparator without a clinical trial. And also, uh, of course, as I mentioned earlier, we need clinical trials to have more uh, additional vaccines to meet the worldwide uh, demand. Okay, and why don't we convert all uh, clinical trials to observational? Again, because of the bias, as I mentioned just now, because if there's no comparator, we cannot see the actual effect of the uh, vaccine. Uh, if we have no placebo, then no people who gets the vaccine 
will me change the behavior, maybe more relaxed and, and uh, you know, and get themselves high risk of getting infected. People who know they are on placebo, for example, uh, may be more careful. So we, in the observational trial, you don't have the, the blinding effect anymore. So you will not have that information. And uh, when you have, a, again, mass in, uh, vaccination, when there are events occurring after the vaccination, we really will not be able to tell whether this is uh, attributable to the vaccine or it's by chance. So these are some of the reasons why clinical trials are important to be there and need to be completed. Uh, again, some myth that may be still uh, uh, present is that you know, some may think that participation into a trial is like a guinea pig, but, but the truth is that there are a lot of uh, safety uh, measures put in place to ensure safety of participants. There will be an independent uh, review board, ethics board to do at the uh, conduct of the researcher. All the researchers are qualified, trained and experienced. Uh, the, ex the research site must have adequate resources and there must be a medical personnel, whether a doctor or dentist, to, to, to uh, manage the participants in case of any medical uh, issues. And of, of course, uh, there's a continuous monitoring of effectiveness and safety throughout the uh, trial period. Okay, and what is important for the clinical trial participants, those who are already in the trial or planning to be in one, is to, of course, maintain safety. We, we, we hope that they still continue to comply with the national SOP. But more importantly, it's also to uh, timely report any symptoms they have to the research team and to be able to continue on with the research requirement of 12 months or, some, uh, or in some study up to 24 months, because that is very important for uh, us to know the effectiveness and the safety of a vaccine. And of course, not to receive any other vaccines during the period of the research period, because that can again uh, confuse, you know, you get two vaccines, not, not sure whether which one is working, for example. So, so in summary, uh, volunteers for vaccine trial are altruistic, uh, but just ensure, uh, rest assured that the safety of the volunteers are the top priority, and the data that's generated by the volunteers today will uh, help to bring the world one step closer to end the pandemic. Thank you. Uh, thank you so much for that, Dr. Chia. You know, we had three very experienced uh, panelists today, and you know, they spoke to us about how uh, you know introduction into the phase one trials, the challenges as well as the conduct of it, and uh, of course <laughs> on top of it, the regulatory components and how phase one trials have uh, accelerated in our country for the last uh, many years now, and we see ourselves positioned well together with the clinical research Malaysia and affecting uh, very early studies into our country. Uh, I'm quite excited to see some of the questions here. So if there are other questions, so please add on to the Slido. Uh, so I'm just going to uh, highlight a couple of questions first. So perhaps I will ask um, uh, CK uh, on the first question. Uh, this is um, uh, how to reach <coughs> recruitment target for a phase one clinical or phase one vaccine trial. Uh, did the study team advertise on social media about the trial? Uh, what is the content and what was your strategy? So perhaps you could uh, elaborate a little bit to us, uh, Mr. CK. Thank you, Dr. Kalai. Um, the recruitment strategies for clinical trial are usually done before the clinical trial commence, actually, in the, the sense that we 
dropped out, developed the advertisement, and the advertisement will be actually designed for potentially WhatsApp group, uh, social media, or even poster. And this will be submitted to our ethics committee uh, board, MIC, for them to review. So after they have been approved, this uh, advertisement, then we will use this advertisement to help in our recruitment to reach the target audience, the healthy volunteers. So who, those who are actually interested to volunteer in the phase one clinical trial, not just phase one, it could be other trial as well, but actually using the same method, uh, they will actually contact us. At the same time, we also have our healthy volunteer database where they have consented from the very beginning before the trial even started. Uh, they actually have offered themselves to give their names and their contact number in the event that is any potential trial that is going to be conducted. We can actually refer to this healthy volunteer database to contact them so that they can actually respond to us whether they are having the uh, interest to join the trial and whether they have the correct uh, appropriate schedules to join the actual conduct of the trial. At the same time, we also uh, rely on this method, which is quite Conventional methods are very effective, which is the word of mouth. For those volunteers who have joined our trial before, they will share their experiences and then they will actually refer to their friends and family members. Sometimes they may bring along their friends to join the trial. So through word of mouth, it's one of the most effective methods to do the recruitment. So usually uh, for the duration of about two weeks time to one time, we should be able to get the required numbers for the phase one clinical trial. For instance, 36 subjects, we will probably ask for 45 to 50 healthy volunteers to come in for the screen. So these are the usual methods that we usually uh, uh, use to engage the healthy volunteers from the public. Yeah, thank you for that, CK. Um, so going on from the first question, the second question uh, is, it's um, uh, again, an anonymous question is about uh, it could be uh, difficult to get approvals for trials in Malaysia. What is ICL doing to facilitate this process to make Malaysia attractive to international sponsors? Uh, I guess uh, um, Dr. Ahmad is more, uh, more in fact certain that you know, he's uh, able to share some of uh, the work CRF has been doing. Uh, but also um, from ICL's perspective, it is the conduct of trials. The, the, the way we conduct our trials and the, you know, the timeliness and the reporting mechanism and making sure that uh, we are up to date with uh, our GCP and so on and so forth makes it uh, viable for ICR to facilitate the conduct of trials. But uh, in the real international arena, CRM is uh, the champion for our country. So perhaps uh, Dr. Ahmad, may want to elaborate on this. Thanks, Dr. Kalai. Uh, I don't think it's very difficult to conduct clinical trials in Malaysia as long as we follow the rules and regulation and uh, what is stipulated by the National Pharmaceutical Regulatory Agency and also the Medical Research Ethics Committee. I believe uh, the trials can be approved in Malaysia in six to eight weeks. Uh, having said that, within the, this uh, situation of COVID-19, we've seen the clinical trial has been approved in a very speedy manner. Now, this comes to how we uh, attract clinical research to Malaysia. It's through how we deliver clinical research within speed, reliability, and quality. We have uh, several platforms that we uh, conduct promotions of Malaysia. And the beauty about Malaysia is that uh, it has this very proposition that 
may not be uh, what you call available in other countries. For example, we have multiracial populations. At the end of the day, you've heard about the pharmacokinetics and pharmacogenetic study. It is uh, good to do in Malaysia when we have at least one third of the world population reside in the country, meaning one third of world uh, genomics actually is residing in the country. So I hope that I answered that questions for the audience. Thank you. And very well said, Mr. Dr. Akmal, very well said. I, I think the experience CRM brings to the sponsor trials in the country is well for other sponsors to follow through too. Uh, I think he is understating how effectively CRM is doing it. Uh, we know from ICR's perspective, the role CRM has been doing to bring sponsors uh, for many of these trials in our country. Um, so I'm going on to the next question. Clinical trial subjects may be compensated financially. And so uh, perhaps uh, there are ethical issues uh, in particular during MCO, where someone who may have uh, some form of a financial issue uh, may volunteer to participate in this kind of uh, <clears throat> trials. Uh, perhaps I can ask uh, Dr. Chia's opinion uh, on this. Uh, is there an ethical uh, measuring up towards this uh, issue of uh, financially incentivizing people to undertake uh, trials. Yeah, hi. So let me just, clinical trial uh, may be, let me just understand, clinical trial subjects may be compensated financially. So how would ethics measure in the times of MCO? I, I think that they, it may be a two separate uh, uh, topic here because when, when you, you participate in a trial, what we, we want to make sure is that the participation is truly volunteer uh, by volunteer means and that any compensation made is mainly to compensate for the subjects or the participants time as well as their uh, uh, basically their, their time and their, uh, their mileage you know to petrol to, to or the, the transportation that brings them to the clinical trial site so, so I think it, there is a separate measure. I, I don't think that in terms of uh, MCO is any different in terms of the ethics approach into the uh, compensation or rather reimbursement of a participation in the trial. Yeah, thank you, Dr. Chia. So I think it's correct in the sense that uh, um, trial participants are basically uh, protected by the clinical trial agreement and how the protocol ensures that uh, there is no uh, incentivizing them to participate in a trial beyond the fact compensate them for the loss of their only for the day travel and so on and so forth. So that is very well regulated in our country. Next question: um, uh, How about clinical trials for traditional medicine, which used widely in China but without pharmacokinetics and pharmacodynamics data? So perhaps uh, Dr. Allen, uh, you could uh, answer this question coming from Lee. Dr. Kalai, this is a very intriguing question, and uh, uh, Lee L.S. has really put us on the spot on this one. Uh, this is a very interesting question, uh, particularly because traditional Chinese medicines do not have, uh, typically do not have identifiable uh, compounds directly to assess the traditional pharmacokinetic and pharmacodynamic data. Therefore, it usually leverages on surrogate markers. For example, if the, the drug is thought uh, to improve or reduce inflammation, inflammatory markers are used as surrogate markers to assess the effectiveness, or in this case, the efficacy as well, of the compound. 
So this is a typical use of surrogate markers. Also, uh, for traditional Chinese medicine, more often than not these days, technology is now available to isolate the bioactive components. So in very large institutions, they are also actively looking for the bioactive components of these traditional Chinese medicines, which up to a generation ago could not be identified closely. But I think going forward with the technological advancement in analytical chemistry, as well as using modern techniques, I think uh, we would see traditional Chinese medicine move leaps and bounds and produce clinical trial protocols that conform to the most modern of what has been able to be conducted these days. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Allen. Uh, Dr. Akmal, do you wish to ask some questions uh, answered from the Slido? Yeah, I think that there's one question. Can we consider Malaysia to bring in first in human trials moving forward? Will there be any challenges? Uh, maybe Dr. Allen, you uh, could uh, help to answer these together with CK. Well, I think I can go first. Thank you, Akmal. Yes, I think with the support from Clinical Research Malaysia and the Ministry of Health and many other organizations, we can definitely move Malaysia forward in first in human trials being conducted. Uh, we have key investigators now undergoing advanced training, uh, including for oncology, example, like Dr. Boon in Canada to be re returning to Malaysia to undertake such first in human trials. Uh, in addition, the infrastructure is now available in Malaysia uh, to safely conduct such studies. We are also building up uh, world-class uh, investigators and clinical research organizations such as uh, Infokinetics you know, to support such uh, endeavors outside uh, the usual ecosystem of uh, the established international partners. So I think on the whole, we definitely should consider bringing Malaysia forward first in human trials. Now that we are both the guidelines as well as the regulatory processes for accreditation and conduct of such studies. Thank you. And also the National Voluntary Registry as well. Yeah, I totally concur with uh, my colleague, colleague Dr. Alan Fong. At the same time in Hospital Ampang, we also have uh, Dr. Shen going to come back as a clinical pharmacologist to help to interpret the pharmacological data, also the preclinical data to ensure the starting dose for the first in human will be appropriately evaluated and subsequently recommended for the subsequent F dose escalation. So we are trying, we are actually compiling all the recipes to ensure the first in human will be conducted in the most appropriate manner. Thank you. Right. Okay. Thank you, CK. Yeah. So um, I'm just going to put in one question and answer it myself very quickly. This is about is that a guideline for managing uh, those who participate in COVID vaccine trials and receive vaccine through the national immunization program? Yes, they are eligible to receive the vaccine at the end of the trial phase and uh, their names as well as their proportion of vaccine is already provided for under the program. So that answers that question. Can we move to the next one? So Pfizer combined phase one, two, three trials, um, NCT 0436878 in the development of uh, SARS-CoV-2 RNA vaccine. Uh, so this is the Pfizer's registered vaccine trial. 
The question is, does IMR consider these strategies in COVID uh, vaccine development? So I think uh, since IMR is not here, but nevertheless, in any vaccine trial, uh, you obviously will have to fulfill, as what Dr. Afan has said, the regulatory requirement uh, that is necessary for the conduct of all these trials. And for that, these cases of trial is necessary and therefore would be considered important for the vaccine that is also being developed in our country. Um, one other question, would there be a platform by MOH or MOSFET to promote ongoing COVID trials? And people might be convinced if uh, MOH promotes the ongoing trials. I think Dr. Akmal, we could uh, answer this question. Yes, I think uh, there are uh, works that is going on, starting from the what we call as the uh, vaccine diplomacy uh, through three different ministry. And uh, as a result, we have uh, one clinical trials that is conducted at the moment and already recruited well, which uh, has been illustrated by uh, Dr. Chia. And there are many others uh, coming in uh, from other developers in a very different type of platform like uh, the inactivated and also the mRNA vaccine. So watch that space. Uh, I think there's a lot of collaboration between MOH and MOST to bring in the clinical research into Malaysia. Okay, so um, there's another question with the government support on advertising vaccine trials. Uh, so this is um, uh, a question perhaps for uh, industry to look at uh, uh, how conduct of trial is done. So maybe CK, you could answer this? As long as the trial is conducted by one of those uh, government KTM sites as uh, investigators, they will they will actually be able to uh, approach ICR for the social media platform to help to actually uh, promote the clinical trial that is a vaccine trial that's going to be conducted as long as the advertisement use is actually approved by the MIC. I so in short, they actually can approach. Uh, the government will support. That, that's spot on. It, all advertisements need to be approved by the MREC uh, uh, CK. That's a very spot on comment. And uh, for this matter, sometimes there are clinical trials which have difficulties in recruitment. And uh, with the helps of the investigator and the approval from the MREC, the sponsors actually, uh, or the company that actually conduct the clinical trials actually put in the advertisement on behalf of the investigator on the media. So that helps in terms of recruitment. Yeah, okay. So yeah, so that clarifies on the role of advertisement, the, uh, the need to have it approved. And also if you have an approved site, then obviously you can use that uh, for the recruitment of the trial volunteers. Maybe uh, so I'll ask one question, Dr. Kalai. Uh, what is the role of clinical research pleasure acting in clinical trials? We work as a site management organization that helps to provide the clinical research first to come to Malaysia in terms of a one-stop center. Uh, we promote Malaysia as the clinical research center with the ability of the uh, delivery of speed, reliability, and quality with a track records. And all these are, are putting in together the cooperation between not only uh, one stakeholder, but many stakeholders in Malaysia, inclusive of in Institute of Clinical Research, uh, the National Pharmaceutical Regulatory Authority, and also the uh, Medical Research Ethics Committee. Uh, by working together in a single vision, we can help to streamline and improve the uh, 
availability of clinical research to be conducted in Malaysia, sponsored by uh, not only multinational company, but also the, what we call as the institution, like uh, universities across the world. Thank you, Dr. Uh, so I think very pertinently said um, how, you know, the, the trial ecosystem is enhanced by having uh, this, um, you know, um, presentation by CR. Uh, next question, what is the status of uh, FIHS, which is the first in human cell therapy clinical trials in Malaysia? Maybe Dr. Allen? Yeah, I think uh, it's, this is a very important question. Uh, cell therapy is something quite new to us, and uh, I personally do not have any experience to undertake uh, FIH cell therapy clinical trials at our site. I think uh, any of these protocols uh, would be assessed uh, in its own individual merit by the Medical Research and Ethics Committee, uh, then to be evaluated at the site. So the site also will be assessed whether it can be uh, conducted safely uh, to ensure that the information obtained uh, can be used in the uh, scientific process and under scientific rigor. So I think on this uh, aspect, I think this is as best as I can uh, answer this, this question, Dr. Kalai. Right, thank you very much, Dr. Allen. I, I, I really felt, you know, for the first of the first demystifying uh, part of this webinar, we have touched on some very important aspects of uh, phase one clinical trials. It introduced the subject well, and uh, you know, we moved on to some questions. And obviously, you know, we had you know more time here than certainly there'll be much to you know, explain. But I'd like to ask uh, Dr. Akmal now uh, to uh, really thank our panelists and also to close the session for today. And we will resume with the next uh, uh, webinar series on the 21st of this month, and we'll catch up more on that session. So back to you, Dr. Akmal. Right. Thanks, Dr. Kalai. I think uh, uh, we've, I mean, all of us agree that it is a very, uh, what do you call it, informative session that we have today, and a good interaction from the viewers as well. Before we uh, go off the air, I'd like to call upon the panelists to uh, provide a short take-home message. Uh, maybe we start with Dr. Allen. Thank you, Dr. Amal. I think the take-home message from our, our lecture is that the clinical trials environment and ecosystem in Malaysia is very healthy. I think it is a good a time as any uh, to move the clinical research agenda so that Malaysia can contribute to the pool of scientific knowledge and participate in the development of new drugs and devices to improve health outcomes for the world. Thank you. Brilliant, Dr. Alan Fong. That's a really good uh, take-home message. Uh, CK, what do you uh, like to uh, bring in in terms of the take-home message? Uh, to echo Dr. Alan Fong of the research that we will strive on and continue to put focus on will be the research that truly matters to the local context of our local population so that none than others we provide and generate further information to help the decision maker to make the informed decision. For that, we are open for any potential collaboration, uh, local or otherwise international, to venture into this uh, research that matters to the patient. Thank you. Back over to 
Fantastic. I think that is uh, gels well with the presentation earlier, which is talking about the uh, Ravida sphere or Ravida, uh, which has uh, been developed from preclinical uh, to uh, phase three study at, at the end of the registered in Malaysia. Uh, may I ask Dr. Chia for your take home message? Thank you, Dr. Um, also, with regards to COVID-19 uh, vaccination, I think it is very important uh, everyone understand that vaccination is one of the key measures to bring normality back to uh, mankind. Uh, so for those who have uh, not registered, you know, get, carry on get, getting registered, the rate of vaccination now is almost 1% uh, population per day, one of the highest vaccination rate in the whole world, Malaysia. And uh, for those who are uh, keen to continue to participate, uh, to be participating in the uh, coming clinical trial in vaccines, I hope they do uh, come forward because we need newer data, we need other uh, options of vaccine as well. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Shah. Uh, over to you, Dr. Karai, what's your take-home message? I take home. I think we will have an exciting, uh, you know, uh, trial ecosystem in Malaysia. We've got, you know, the ingredients of very good clinicians. We have the facilities that allow us to undertake uh, first in human trials. And uh, we have uh, shown our expertise in the conduct of phase uh, one trials. And we also facilitated, you know, the rollout of a vaccine trial. Now, what it really uh, puts us now is into the map of, uh, you know, the global trials. And uh, hopefully with the other you know, incoming trials now, despite the COVID-19 pandemic, we continue to champion Malaysia as uh, a favorable destination in Southeast Asia, uh, at least as in the current situ situation. And in the greater perspective, Asia uh, once the COVID-19 pandemic kind of settles down. So, you know, um, we are in this together, together with CRF and the regulators and everyone uh, to facilitate trial ecosystem I think uh, you know this is what the three panelists today have uh, very elegantly you know stated in front of us. Uh, and I think on behalf of ITR, we are going to them a great thanks and trying to get the clarity across in the last one hour. Thank you very much, and to all of you, I will hope to see you at the next webinar, which will be on the twenty-first of this month, same time, and uh, we will all sit together on a different topic and a new panelist. Thank you very much. Uh, thank you, Dr. Thank you very much. Have a good Thank day. You. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you all. Have a good day and stay safe.